Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, your award-winning Texas history podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise. I want to thank you for tuning in today for some Texas history. This episode is being released in the summer of 2019, the time period of vacations, and I'm trying to release some quick episodes so you have something to listen to while you're driving around, hopefully Texas, maybe some other states. Uh, I, for one, just returned, so we've had a little bit of a break in uh, the episodes. Uh, I took the family to uh, New Mexico for a week up in the mountains. We had a great time, but the way it relates to this episode is I took the occasion, we drove up there, and I took the occasion to read one of the best Texas history books you'll find out there. It's a book on Charles Goodnight. The title is Charles Goodnight, Cowman and Plainsman, and it's by J. Evitz Haley. It was originally published in 1936, and it is, it remains, uh, the biography of Charles Goodnight. And it talks a lot about him trailing cattle, where he did it, his adventures in the Texas Panhandle, and his life up there. And when you're driving west to either New Mexico or Colorado, you're driving right through where all that happened. So I read that book while we were going and while we were there. It was very interesting to do so. And it gave me the idea for this episode. And this episode is going to deal with a very uh, small piece of Charles Goodnight's incredible life. And that is the death of his partner, Oliver Loving. He and Loving were partners in the cattle business and were, quite literally, trailblazers. So we're going to go back to the middle 1800s and get wise about Texas. Oliver Loving was born in 1812, December of 1812. He was born in Hopkins County, Kentucky. He married in 1833 and he was a farmer for a decade in central Kentucky. He had uh, nine children, his wife, he and his wife Susan. In 1843, the Lovings, his, brothers, his brother and his brother-in-law, moved to Texas. And one of the colony that they were affiliated with was the Peters Colony in North Texas. And he got about 640 acres of land. That land was located in North Texas in the Dallas area. By 1855, the Lovings had moved to what would become Palo Pinto County. And they ran a country store near Keechee Creek, and they also had a ranch. By the late 1850s, Loving had about a 1,000 acres of land, and he had a large herd of cattle that he needed to take to market. Well, there weren't any markets in Texas that could accommodate that herd, so he decided that he would drive those steers, or whatever he drove, we don't know for sure, probably steers, out of Texas, and he sent his then 19-year-old son, William, to drive his cattle up to Illinois. Now, when these cattle drives would form, he'd put the word out that he was going to get a drive together, and all the neighbors, anybody that had cattle to sell, would put the cattle in with his, and that's how these herds got to be thousands of cattle during the trail driving era. And he drove them to Illinois, he drove them up a trail called the Shawnee Trail. Now, that's not a name. When you talk about the famous cattle trails, you don't usually hear the Shawnee Trail. Let me tell you a little bit about that. The Shawnee Trail was used uh, just before and just after the Civil War. And 
The Shawnee Trail generally uh, ran through Austin, Waco, and Dallas, so kind of up, I we'd call it up I-35 today in that direction, and uh, cross the Red River on the eastern edge of Oklahoma, and then it would split, as a lot of these cattle trails did, and it ended up in Missouri, in St. Louis, Missouri, Independence, Missouri, in Kansas City, some other small towns. It was a fairly popular trail. Uh, by the middle 1850s, 1853, uh, to be exact, there had been some problems developing, and the problems stem from the fact that the cattle that were taken up this trail, now remember these are Texas cattle, so they were longhorns, they would carry ticks. The ticks transmitted a disease that came to be called Texas fever. Now the Texas cattle were immune to this disease, but the cattle in the north were not, or I should say the Midwest. So when the longhorns would get up there into Missouri, those ticks would give this deadly Texas fever to uh, the local cattle. Now it would kill some of them, wouldn't kill all of them, but it would also it would uh, infect them to the point where they couldn't be sold. So obviously the locals didn't take too kindly to that and they started forming vigilance committees which would try to prevent these herds from entering and it turned into a shooting war uh, to some degree. Uh, the other people upset with it were farmers who of course would have milk cows and other domestic animals so that eventually became a problem, and, you know, the more I talk about it, the more I think maybe we ought to just do an episode on that. So I will jump to the end of the story where the trailing of the cattle started to move west away from the problems and uh, closer to a more famous trail called the Chisholm Trail. But suffice to say, at the time Loving began driving cattle, he would drive them up the Shawnee Trail. His first drive, as I mentioned, was 1857, and he made a fairly good profit so he planned in the spring of 1858 to do the same thing, uh, which he did. Uh, later, a few years later, gold fever had hit Colorado. Gold had been discovered. So Loving gathered some cattle um, and drove them toward Denver. Now, these cattle drives took long enough that uh, you wouldn't make it to your ultimate destination before winter set in, where obviously, especially in Colorado, you were not going to start to trail cattle. So uh, Loving stopped at where uh, present-day Pueblo, Colorado is and wintered his cattle. When spring came, he ended up selling the cattle for gold, and he tried to come back to Texas. Now, this was 1861. The Civil War had broken out, so the Union authorities were not going to let him leave. Well, in the meantime, he had made friends with the famous scout Kit Carson, and another famous scout who later went on to become one of the largest landowners uh, in U.S. history, Lucian Maxwell. And they intervened with the authorities. They allowed, the authorities eventually allowed Loving to return to Texas. Uh, but now he was an expert cattle driver, so he uh, drove cattle east from Texas to support the Confederate government, and uh, who, which ended up owing him a lot of money at the end of the war, which bad luck for Loving because there was no money. But in any event, Oliver Loving had uh, pioneered cattle driving. Well, in the Keechee Valley, there lived another Texan, uh, ironically enough, born in Illinois where Loving had been trailing his cattle, born in 1836. His name was Charles Goodnight. When Goodnight was nine years old, his family moved to Texas, 800 miles from where they lived. Goodnight made the trek as a nine-year-old riding bareback 
on his horse, Blaze. Goodnight used to brag he was born the same year as the Texas Republic, and he moved to Texas the same year he joined the United States. He made friends with friendly Indians as a young boy. We taught him to track and hunt. He started working on ranches when he was 11. As a teenager, he rode racehorses as a jockey. He became a freighter, predecessor to modern-day truck drivers. And these freighters would load multiple wagons um, with thousands of pounds of goods and multiple ox teams and drive them, which was a pretty good business. Then he started in the cattle business with his brother-in-law. They continued freighting and raising cattle in the Palo Pinto area, or what, as I mentioned before, would become Palo Pinto County. No doubt during this time he would have been acquainted with Oliver Loving. But also during this time, Indian troubles in the area increased and Goodnight became a scout for the Rangers. In fact, it was Goodnight who found the Comanche camp headed up by Peta Nakona. Now, if that sounds familiar, Chief Nakona's wife was Cynthia Ann Parker, the white woman captured at Parker's Fort in 1836. Their son together was Quanah Parker, the last of the Comanche war chiefs and probably the most famous Comanche Indian in Western history. In any event, Goodnight discovered their camp and reported back to his captain, Captain Jack Curitan, and Captain Lawrence Sullivan Ross. He actually guided the rangers to the camp where the Battle of Peace River occurred and Cynthia Ann Parker was repatriated. During the Civil War, Goodnight continued his scouting. Uh, during the Civil War, the frontier shrank toward the east as the Indians took advantage of the fact that uh, the frontier was weaker, but Goodnight was attached to a frontier regiment, so he spent the Civil War doing what he could on the western frontier. That ranging service included travel west to the headwaters of the Brazos, uh, to the Canadian River, up the Colorado River, and, of course, that would have meant he spent a lot of time on the Llano Estacado and would learn the, what would become the Panhandle of Texas very well. So after the Civil War in 1866, Charles Goodnight decided he was going to trail cattle to Denver. So he raised a herd, and what he had figured out from his rangering days was he knew certainly how to cut a straight line from where he was to Denver, Colorado. But to do that, he would have had to go through uh, the land possessed by the Comanches and the Kiowas. And so he knew that if he went through there, they'd steal all his cattle and probably all his horses, probably kill him. So he decided what to do is take the old Butterfield, what was called then the Butterfield Trail or the Butterfield Stage Route, and if he could go that direction, which would be southwest of where he was starting, he could get past the Comancheria, turn north up the Pecos River, and end up in the Rocky Mountains. Now, that was going to be twice as long, probably, as the straight route, but he knew he could avoid the Indians. So if you can picture a map and look at Amarillo, Texas, as the center of the map, Goodnight was going to go south and west of Amarillo, more or less, technically southwest, more or less due west in a grand scheme, into New Mexico and straight north. And that way he'd go around the Comanches and have greater chance for success. To outfit this cattle drive, Goodnight had gone to Weatherford, Texas, 
to buy everything that was going to be necessary for the drive. And to get to Weatherford, he passed Oliver Loving's ranch. And Loving was quite a bit older than Goodnight, 24 years older to be exact. But he stopped to talk to Loving, and Loving was gathering cattle for another drive, and the two men started to compare notes. Importantly, Goodnight described how he was going to get to Colorado and why he was going that way. Well, Loving saw the wisdom in the young man and said, and proposed that Loving join up, and they go together. And a deal was made. 2,000 head of cattle, 18 cowboys, started out on June 6th, 1866 to blaze a new trail to Colorado for Texas Longhorn cattle. Goodnight put the older Loving in charge out of respect and off they went. They were so successful they ended up establishing a ranch in New Mexico not too far south of Fort Sumner. Goodnight raised another herd in Texas, drove them to that ranch, and they sold those cattle from that ranch to the army in the Fort Sumner and Santa Fe areas. In the spring of 1867, they both returned to Texas to raise cattle for another drive. This drive, however, wasn't quite as easy. From the outset, they were besieged by Indian problems. The weather was terrible. The rain, lightning storms would stampede the cattle. At one point, Goodnight described half the herd as walking forward, the other half running around in circles till their tongues hung out. The herd scattered up and down the Pecos River. These cowboys were riding dozens of miles a day trying to gather cattle. At one point, the Indians came in and stole almost 200 head of cattle, which Loving and Goodnight decided to just write off rather than try to go get them back. It was a dangerous situation, and they were going too slow. So Oliver Loving, who was worried about the uh, Army bidding contracts out in Santa Fe and that they wouldn't get there in time to participate. Discussed with Goodnight the idea that he go ahead to try to get the ahead of the herd to try to get to Santa Fe in time to bid on these contracts, which of course was key to their business. Goodnight, being younger but way more experienced in Indian fighting, tried to talk him out of it. But when Loving became determined to go, Goodnight said, All right, travel by night only. And during the day, make sure you're not only hidden, but you're hidden in some sort of fortification or well-defended position. Loving agreed to do this, but Goodnight recalls that he was still nervous about it because Loving was very religious, which is usually a good thing, except in Goodnight's opinion, Loving took it to an extreme, thinking God was going to protect him at all costs. Loving, of course, knew better, and uh, he was a little bit uneasy with the whole situation. Loving needed a travel companion, so Goodnight sent one of his cowhands, a guy named One-Armed Bill Wilson. Not sure why they called him One-Armed Bill, because I think he had both arms, but he was a former outlaw, if there is such a thing, and very cool under pressure, and Goodnight knew that Loving could use someone with Wilson's sense. So Loving and Wilson head for Santa Fe. They were going along pretty well, traveling at night. They had crossed into what's now southeastern New Mexico, and Loving, as he was wont to do, grew impatient. He didn't like riding at night. He mentioned to Wilson they hadn't seen any any Indians for several days, so they decided to travel during the day. Well, at this point, they were um, into New Mexico, as I mentioned. The Guadalupe Mountains were to their west. The Pecos 
was to their east, and they were in a desolate plain. The problem with this is they could be seen for miles, and of course they were. They were seen by a large band of Indians that immediately set out toward them. They were coming from the west, from the Guadalupe Mountains. So Loving and Wilson made a run for it. Lucky for them, there was a spot they saw on the Pecos River about four miles away, a lot closer than the Indians were. So they rode straight for it. They found some cover in a little drainage wash coming at the foot of a bluff a few feet wide and a couple of feet deep. They could hide here unseen, and the only way to see them would be to cross the river, see them from the other side. So they took refuge in this little fort. They got their holsters off their saddles, which is how they carried them in those days, and they were fairly well-armed. Loving had a Henry rifle, which was very recent technology at this time. Loving estimated the number of Indians as, quote, several hundred Close quote. Well, of course, they surrounded them immediately. Several of the Indians swam the river, and from there they'd be able to see Loving and Wilson. One Indian appeared at the mouth of the ditch that they were hiding in across the river and took aim at the pair. Loving shot and killed him immediately. No other Indians tried that spot. The Indians were closing in when one of them started yelling from the bluff across the river from their hideout in Spanish suggesting that they reach a truce. Wilson told Loving he'd go talk to him, if Loving would cover the rear. They stepped out onto some sand dunes to address the Indians, and Loving was immediately shot through the wrist. The bullet lodged in his side. Loving and Wilson ducked back into their hideout. Another Indian was crawling through the cane on the side of the river to try to get close to him. Wilson crawled out to where he thought he would be, intending to confront him, but between Wilson and that Indian was a rattlesnake who didn't take too kindly to the Indian crawling up on him. So the Indian did what any of us would do uh, when arousing that rattlesnake. He crawled the other direction. The problem with Loving's bullet wound is the loss of blood. He was growing weaker. He was in extreme pain, and he was starting to become feverish. Luckily, the sun had gone down. Loving felt sure he was going to die. He begged Wilson to go on to leave him there and to be sure and let Goodnight and his family know how he had fallen and where. Loving told Wilson that if Wilson would go, Loving would hold off the Indians as long as he could, but he wouldn't allow himself to be captured. He'd shoot himself beforehand, which frankly was a fairly common tactic in the frontier. You did not want to get captured by the Comanches. If by some miracle... The Indians were to go away. Loving told Wilson he'd go downstream and do his best to survive. Now remember, Loving and Wilson had ridden ahead of the herd, and they put their heads together and figured they had about a day and a half or two days before that herd caught up. So if Wilson went toward the herd and the herd was coming toward Wilson, maybe he could get there quicker than he thought. Wilson agreed to the plan. They had five pistols, revolvers. So Wilson laid them out next to the weakening Loving. He took a rifle that actually belonged to Charlie Goodnight. The rifle was a uh, revolving rifle. And he took the Henry rifle because the Henry shot metallic cartridges. Wilson said his goodbyes to Loving, shed his clothes in case he had to swim, 
and slipped out into the darkness. To do so, he had to slip into the river. So he kept his underwear, his undershirt, and a hat, along with that Henry rifle, and away he went. Wilson immediately had to slip past an Indian standing on his horse in the middle of the river, which he managed to do. The problem is he couldn't make any progress while carrying that Henry rifle. Now, I'll tell you, listeners, I've got an exact replica Henry made by a a company called Uberti off the original blueprints, and it weighs almost 10 pounds. So it's no surprise that he couldn't make it down the river with the Henry. So he buried it under the water in the sand so the Indians wouldn't find it, and he slipped past the watchful eyes of the Comanche and into the dark night to find the herd. What he didn't know was that Goodnight had actually stopped the herd for an extra day and a half before he entered New Mexico. He did so because he had found a place with good water that would have uh, been a great place to rest the herd, wash some clothes, fix the gear, etc. Wilson had thought that by now he would have found Goodnight, but he kept on going. He kept on going through the brush, through the burning sand. Wilson was getting weak and disoriented. Goodnight was starting to get the herd moving. As Goodnight rode ahead, he saw somebody coming in and out of a cave. Now, Goodnight, of course, was afraid these would be Indians. Goodnight, for reasons he could never explain, even until his death, just knew it was Wilson. So he rode his horse up to the man, and there he found an almost unrecognizable Wilson, feet swollen beyond, as Goodnight put it, quote, beyond all reason. And every step he took left blood in the track, close quote. He could barely speak, much less describe what happened to Loving. They got some food and water in him, and Wilson came back to himself. Goodnight immediately set out to find Loving. He rode all through that night, and then he ran into something strange. He was following the directions that Wilson had given him, and basically retracing Wilson and Loving's steps. He recognized that the Comanches had crossed the trail several several times and found the tracks to be fairly fresh. But he also found something else. Loving always traveled with notebooks in his saddlebags. There was a page from Loving's notebooks. Goodnight recognized it. The Comanches had drawn an Indian and a white man shaking hands. Goodnight described it as a fairly splendid drawing, but that the Comanche had drawn the white man wearing what I think was a stovepipe hat, which was strange because that's not something that anyone in the West would wear. But they had pinned this page from Loving's Daybook to a bush at the junction of the trail, stuck it on a mesquite thorn. Goodnight figured the Indians were still after Loving. When they reached the point where Wilson said they would be, there were no Indians. There were plenty of tracks, and Goodnight thought maybe they didn't get Loving because the tracks indicated they were running around pell-mell looking for Loving. The spot where Loving had been hiding had hundreds of arrow holes around it. I say holes because the Indians had gathered the arrows when they left. Wilson described where he had left his clothes, and Goodnight found him, even his pocket knife, right where he had described it. But they didn't find Oliver Loving. Well, naturally, they expected Loving was dead and his body missing. So Goodnight and his companions that he had taken with him headed back to the herd. But Charles Goodnight had underestimated 
his partner. For two days, Loving, without food, feverish from his wounds, had fought off the Indians. When nobody had come to help him, he figured the Indians had fought with the cowboys and probably won and probably captured the herd. So he thought he better do what Wilson did and try to make it downriver. But he knew the Indians would have figured his attempts to do that. So he did get in the river, but he decided to go upstream rather than downstream. He had some guns with him, but the river had soaked the powder and the caps, so he couldn't shoot anything for food, though he tried. He then tried to eat the buckskin gloves that he wore, but to do that, he was going to have to parch them in a fire, which he couldn't build. So he tied his handkerchief to a stick, stuck it in the river, slowly brought it back to his mouth, and at least got a little water, even though it was the alkaline water of the Pecos River. Three days of this, and Loving was on the brink of death. Lo and behold, there came a wagon. In the wagon were three Mexicans and a German. They were on their way to Texas, and they found Loving. Loving was asleep, though they must have thought he was dead. Anyway, he woke up in a start actually pointing a gun at one of them. Though they were on their way to Texas, Loving managed to make an offer of $250 if they'd get him to Fort Sumner. So they turned the wagon around in an attempt to save Loving's life. Now here Loving got lucky again. Some of the cattle that were in the herd belonged to a man named Burleson, who was already in Fort Sumner. He was getting a little impatient at where this herd was, so he decided to ride south and try to meet up with them. Well, he ran into the wagon carrying Loving. So Burleson summoned the government ambulance and, and a doctor they managed to get Loving in the ambulance, get his wounds treated, and took him to Fort Sumner. Burleson continued south to try to find the herd. In the meantime, Goodnight was riding ahead of the herd to scout for Indians and to scout for water. Burleson and Goodnight ran into each other on the trail. Burleson asked about the herd, and he also mentioned that Loving had told him something. Goodnight said, whoa, whoa, Loving was just killed by Indians on the Pecos River. To which Burleson replied that Oliver Loving was actually at Fort Sumner. Goodnight rode nonstop to Sumner, sleeping only in the saddle. Loving was actually up and around. The wound in his side had healed, but the wrist wound had resulted in some problems with his arm. Goodnight had set off to take care of a little business while he was there. That business was the recovery of some horses and mules that had been stolen from Indians by Indians and sold to some people around Sumner. He managed to recover those. And as he was headed back to Fort Sumner, a courier met him, said that Mr. Loving had sent for him. So Goodnight arrives back at Fort Sumner, and it turns out that gangrene had set into Loving's arm. Loving needed to have the arm amputated, but didn't want to do the operation until Goodnight was there, because he thought that he might not survive, and he needed to give Goodnight instructions. The main doctor was gone from Fort Sumner, and a young physician was there and reluctant to operate on Loving. Goodnight almost had to threaten to shoot him to get him to amputate the arm. Well, the amputation was successful, but there was what was described as a, quote, large and peculiar, close quote, artery, and the young surgeon didn't know necessarily what to do. Goodnight recruited someone to ride to Las Vegas, New Mexico, for a doctor named Shoup 
and he gave him $500 to get the doctor there as soon as he could. But the artery was bleeding, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. Loving summoned Goodnight and gave him some instructions. He was concerned mainly about the money the Confederate government had owed him. And he asked, he knew he wouldn't be paid, and he asked Goodnight to maintain their cattle partnership for two years until Loving's debt had paid off. Goodnight promised to maintain the partnership and pay his debts. Finally, Loving looked at Goodnight and said this, quote, I regret to have to be laid away in a foreign country. Close quote. Goodnight promised he would take Oliver Loving back to Texas. Oliver Loving died on September 25, 1867. They buried him at Fort Sumner, but it was only temporary. In the meantime, Goodnight finished driving cattle to Colorado. He built a ranch near Pueblo. And after he got the ranch built, he went back to Fort Sumner, where they exhumed Oliver Loving's body. Cowboys at Fort Sumner gathered oil cans, beat them out flat, and soldered them together. And what they ended up with was an immense tin casket. They put Loving in his temporary wooden casket in which he'd been buried inside the tin casket. They packed in powdered charcoal. They sealed it and they crated the entire thing in lumber. They took the bed off a wagon and replaced it with this multi-layer casket. Six big mules were hitched to the wagon, and on February 8, 1868, with cowboys riding ahead and behind, Oliver Loving was returned from Fort Sumner, New Mexico, to Weatherford, Texas, where Goodnight laid his faithful business partner to rest and kept his promise. It was 63 years from then until Charles Goodnight died, and he never spoke of who he described as my old partner with anything but reverence. According to J. Evans Haley, till the day of his death, a picture of loving hung on the Goodnight Ranch House wall, his mentor and his friend. Well, now we come to the part of the episode I call Getting There, where I tell you how to see some of the places mentioned in the episode. Oliver Loving's final resting place is the City Greenwood Cemetery in Weatherford, Texas, west of Fort Worth. The old Fort Sumner no longer exists, but there is the town of Fort Sumner, New Mexico, and in the middle of town, there is uh, there are several historic markers and a historic site where Fort Sumner stood. It's on New Mexico Highway 60 west of Clovis, New Mexico. Another interesting Goodnight Loving site is the Capulin Volcano. Goodnight always referred to it as the Capulin Crater. It's on U.S. Highway 87 between Dalhart, Texas and Raton, New Mexico. Now that's a long way, but I use those two as markers because if you're in Texas and you're driving to Colorado, you're driving up Highway 87. So I know a lot of y'all listening to this podcast go up and down that highway. You will see a sign for the Capulin Volcano National Monument. We'll pull over there. You can actually drive up to the top of the volcano, walk into the crater. But if you get up to the top, look out to the west, you'll see this huge valley. That's a valley where the Goodnight Loving Trail ran up into Colorado. And as you view the volcano from the highway, you'll be looking at the same landmark that Charles Goodnight and Oliver Loving used when trailing cattle to Colorado. 
Finally, on Highway 287, about 40 miles east of Amarillo's Goodnight, Texas, the Charles Goodnight Historical Center is there, and uh, his ranch house is there. You can tour that. It's been restored as a museum. Uh, that's on the south side of the highway, uh, or the west side, depending on your perspective. And um, he, Charles Goodnight is buried on the other side of the highway, the highway, just a short distance from the ranch house. So if you're up that direction in the panhandle, stop by and pay your respects to the man who always kept his promises. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Wise About Texas. Thanks again for tuning in today. Be sure and send your episode ideas to host at wiseabouttexas.com. Like and share the Wise About Texas Facebook page. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas. And if you feel like supporting the preservation and promotion of Texas history, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Wise About Texas and support the show. Thanks for listening today. Go out and do something for Texas. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.